screen for me, if you will, please. The text for today is 2 Timothy chapter 3. I have two references. First is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and the second is found in 2 Peter chapter 1. And these are two scriptures among many that I could use for a text today. Because today the subject of lesson number five in the series of lessons I have been teaching entitled Mythbusters Exploring the Truth. Last Sunday I spoke to you on the subject of hell. I pray that if you were not here, you would get that CD and that you would share it only because it is the Word of God. Every subject that I have been given by the Holy Ghost in this series have been worthy of a series of sermons, including this one, because of the depth of its content. Today I'm going to speak to you on the subject, why do you believe what you believe? I'm going to speak to you on the validity of Holy Scriptures. I am going to try this morning to give you overwhelming, convincing evidence of why this is the Word of God. And why this, His Word, is far superior to any other Scriptures that are called Holy Scriptures that are not in congruence with this Word. So I can use the whole Bible for reference. But I will use Paul's writing to Timothy in chapter 2, verse 3, pardon me, chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, 2, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God, implying the woman of God, whatever your gender, the man of God may be completely, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Leave it there. All Scripture. Everybody say all Scripture. It's given by inspiration of God. Why did God give it? Because it's profitable for doctrine. For Reproof. That means rebuke when we need it, correction when we need it, instruction in how to live righteously. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Second reference, please, would be 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Amen, church. And here the writer says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, meaning the revelation, the inspiration, the prophecy of the Scripture that we hold in our hands, did not come in olden times by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost wrote the book, but he used human instrumentality to pen it and write it. So if you will, the next slide. Why do you believe what you believe? Point your hand in my direction and offer a prayer for me. I would appreciate it. 
and I know I'd feel the results of it. Would you do that for me? And I'll do it for you. Father, thank you for the rich anointing of your presence in this service and upon our lives. There could be many things to distract us. And, oh God, I pray against them. Amen, church. Oh God, I pray against any kind of distractions we might create or that we, that Lord might fall upon us. I, I do not want your word, oh God, to fall on hard, rocky soil. But I want your word to fall on the soil of our heart that's prepared by the Holy Spirit to receive the truth. God, I, I pray for transformation that comes along with the word that makes us better people, more like Jesus. I pray for miracles that come from believing the Word. Can I get an amen? I pray for deliverance that comes from believing the Word. I pray for the power of the Word, the joy of the Word, the life of the Word. I pray for for everyone here today that to be touched beyond which we have by your special visitation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for being seated in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, he's a good God. Amen. Each year in America, more than 50,000 books are published. It only takes a few moments of your time in a store like Barnes & Noble to discover that there are books published on a variety of subjects. In fact, subjects that are, I should say, every imaginable subject. There are many people who trust the Bible and they say it is different from any ever book, book that's ever been published. And those of us included in that group, we believe that the Bible was authored by God and it's the only book that shows us how to know God, how to live for God, and how to have eternal life. Of course, there are those who do not hold that view. There are those who think the Bible is flawed, it's unreliable, and it's not written by God. There are those who think the Bible is filled of, of, of fables and myths and imaginations of people's minds. And they think that maybe the Bible is in the same class as the Greek stories about the gods of Mount Olympus or, or the writings of Confucius. And to many people. And surprisingly, more Americans than ever before in history. The Bible is just another religious book. The greatest objection is offered when people say that the Bible is a book that, 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 like any other book, so we cannot trust it for knowing how to live and for our destiny, our future. When we say that this is... The book of books. And it is God's word. And it is true. We find people asking questions like, how can a book written more than 2,000 years ago possibly be relevant for us today? And in this talk I have this morning, I, I want to accept the challenge to present to you with overwhelming evidence that the Bible is true. It is the word of God. The truth is, to reject the Bible is to close your eyes to an overwhelming amount of evidence in its favor. 
And more importantly, to reject the Bible is to ignore the reality of mankind's need for a Savior that cannot come from mankind or from intellectualism. Our need for hope in this life and for hope in the next life to come. Therefore, to ignore the Bible is to seal our doom. And that's never God's intent. And so, let, let me just do some teaching this morning and offer you an answer to why do you believe what you believe. Among the things that I, I would like to bring to your attention is the miracle of the origination of the Bible. On this PowerPoint slide in front of you, the Bible is 66 books in one, from Genesis to Revelations. Written over a period of 1,600 years by 40 different authors in 13 different countries, the Bible. 13, uh, out of 40 different authors living on three different continents, writing in three different languages, the languages of Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. The Bible contains many controversial topics. Yet all of the concentration of the Scripture is on one basic theme. All of the writers, over 1,600 years, 40 different writers, various locations, all are in agreement on their theological conclusion about the Bible. I think that that is especially noteworthy when I think about the origination of the Bible. Those 40 men who wrote the Scriptures came from a variety of backgrounds like doctors and fishermen and shepherds and soldiers and kings and princes. Some were rich, some were not. Some were educated, some were uneducated. And I would suspect today that if we took 40 men and placed them in the same room, I would suspect that if all things were equal. They were equal in their social standing. They were equal in their education. And they were equal in their life background. And we would take these 40 men and we would put them in the same room. And we would say, we want each of you to write a conclusion on the meaning of life. I believe that we would have 40 different conclusions on the meaning of life by each of the writers. Can I get a witness there? The probability is that probably not even two, but two at most, would agree on the meaning of life. But the beautiful thing about the origination of Scripture is that God took a variety of writers from various ages and various cultures and various nationalities and various backgrounds. And over the years by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, told them to pen what you and I now know today as the Word of God. And you know that the, the, the Bible has a variety of subjects. It talks about the origin of the universe, the creation of mankind. It talks about the beginning of sin. It speaks about divine principles of government. It talks about... The nation of Israel, its rise into power and all of its struggles until the day of Christ. The Bible talks about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It talks about the institution of the church like we know it today. It talks about the evangelization 
of the whole world. And yet with all of this variety in Scripture, with all of these colors that make up its light, with a thousand different threads weaving into the tapestry of the Scripture, there is one theme that is pronounced from Genesis to Revelation. The one golden thread through every page of the Bible is Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the only Savior of the whole world. If you believe it, give the Lord a praise this morning. In every book of the Bible, you see the theme of Jesus. In the, in the book of Genesis, He is the seed of woman. In the book of Exodus, He is the Passover lamb of God. In the book of Leviticus, He is the great high priest that offers sacrifice for our sins. In the book of Numbers, He's a pillar of fire by night and a ball of fire by day. Every single book of the Bible, the theme is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Tell me, how can over 1,600 years and 40 different writers on three different continents in three different languages ever get together and have a theme like that? It's because the Bible is the Word of God. I would say something briefly about the miracle of the preservation of this book of books. No less amazing than the Bible's origination is its preservation, its perpetuity. The Word of God says, Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. The Bible is not just the book of the month. It is the book of the ages. Oh, hallelujah. No book has been the object of more attacks and more scorn than this book that I hold in my hand and you have on your lap. No book has ever been despised and rejected like the Word of God. It has been burned. It has been shredded. It has been mocked. It has been outlawed. It ha has been every kind of way that it could be, uh, be blasphemed. It has been blasphemed. But it, oh, the Holy Ghost is going to help this preacher in just a minute. But every time this word has come under mockery or scorn or objection, it's like God fans a fire and makes it rise up out of the ashes and spreads this message even more and more. It seems like the more the Bible is objected, the more its power is fanned. Oh, thank you, Lord. Voltaire in his day, he said, and, and he was a philosopher of many, many years ago, Voltaire said about the Bible and his opposition to it, he said, in 100 years, the Bible will be a forgotten book only to be found in museums. 100 years later, Voltaire was dead, and the house he lived in was purchased by the Geneva Bible Society for the printing and distribution of Bibles. <laughs> I'm telling you, you can't get rid of it. 
I read where a man by the name of Bob Ingersoll, a well-known atheist of the last century, Bob Ingersoll, he used to travel a circuit travel, delivering messages on why the Bible is not true. Bob Ingersoll said, in 15 years, I'll have the Bible in the morgue. He died 15 years to the day he said that. He was in the morgue, and the Bible lives on. I feel a whoop glory right here now. Many a man, and even today, to, to my grief and to my sadness, even in American pulpit this morning, there will be those who do not believe this is the Word of God. Even today, many a man and in the past has preached the funeral of the Bible only to find out that the corpse outlives the pallbearers. Oh, thank you, Holy Ghost. I like what John Cummings said years ago about the preservation of the Bible. John Cummings said, The empire of Caesar and the Roman Empire is gone, but the Word of God still survives. The legions of Rome are moldering in the dust, but the Word of God still survives. Napoleon came and conquered everything in sight, including Europe. He's gone, but the the Word of God still survives. Pharaohs have risen and fallen over the thousands of years, and they built their pyramids and mummified their bodies, but they're long gone. But the Word of God still survives. Tradition have dug a grave and tried to put the Bible in it, but the Word of God still survives. Many have been like Judas, and they have betrayed the Word of God. But the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the power of God unto salvation. Give me a little more monitor right here, brother. Yeah. This book is more than 2,000 years old. It has, no other book has sold more books than this Bible. The Bible is the number one bestseller in the world. And, and, and those of us who love it so well have made up our minds that we know one day there is coming a government, even here in America, that will take this book from us. Because when we preach against sin, they will say that we are hate mongers and we are guilty of Hate crimes. There is coming a day in America when I preach against homosexuality, when I preach against uh, adultery and fornication and drunkenness and all manner of sin, and I name them like the Bible names it, somebody is going to wait to turn me in, and somebody is going to arrest me and put me in jail if I stand on the Word. But I'm going to do what David said. 
thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Take it if you want to. Outlaw it if you want to. But I got it in my head. I got it in my heart. I got it in my life. And nobody can take the word from me. Somebody praise him. Oh, yes. Oh, my, 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 my. You see, there is a miracle about its, about its preservation. That's why we tell you. That's why we tell you to read your Bible through. Take, take in the, when you read your Bible, you memorize verses. It's better than taking vitamin B. I'm not against vitamins. When you, when, when you take this word in you, it's better than taking your prescription. The Bible said about the Word of God, By His stripes, Jesus, we are healed. So when you take those 14 prescriptions, you ought to read at least 14 verses in your Bible to go along with it. Can I get an amen? When you take the time to go to Walmart or CVS and drive in your car and wait in line to get your prescription, you ought to go home, take the same time and open up the Bible and say, God's not against medicine, but I'm also in the Bible. Oh, my by His stripes, I am still being healed. It's not only preserved, it'll preserve preserve us. I I, want to hasten here. I got more content than I got time. The miracle of its circulation. No other book has been circulated like the Bible. I love this organization of men in America that are known as the Gideons. There may be some Gideon brothers in this house. They have made it their goal, the Gideons, to distribute Holy Scripture all over the world in multiplicities of languages so that everybody will know the God and the Jesus of the Bible. I read this week where they distribute some 500 million copies of Scripture. Oh, I like that circulation. Give me an amen. I rarely go into a hotel room when traveling, as I will this week, where I open the drawer and I don't find a Holy Scripture copy presented by the Gideons. Somebody ought to say amen. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the circulation of this book has gone around the world. Many people have given their lives For the cause of circulating the Word of God. Can I get an amen? There are people today... Oh, oh, help me, Jesus. It's going to get quiet here in just a minute, but y'all flow with me, okay? There are people today who are smuggling Bibles at the risk of their life into countries like uh, China... And other Islamic countries, China not being Islamic, but Buddhist, but, 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 but well, you know what I'm saying? Countries that are opposed to the gospel and they have outlawed the Bible and banned the Bible. There are people smuggling Bibles. And I used to, I used to say, should we break the law to spread the Bible? Yeah, I know I got some of you pragmatic people out there sitting there thinking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you something. I know people smuggle drugs. They smuggle alcohol. They smuggle contraband. They do all, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, and, and 
And, and my, my point is, I don't see it. In that, I see it as life-giving, not killing people with drugs and alcohol and pornography. I see it if, if you can give away the blessing of God, then, then if God leads you to send a Bible and you know what the risk of it is, just be prepared. Okay? Can I get an amen if you know what the risk But I, But I'm saying to you that the people who, who, who have given their life to spread the gospel and to carry the word and distribute it, and this is the part I wasn't going to say. Y'all, there are people giving their life. And there are some Christians who won't even open the Bible and read it at home. I don't mean this bad now, but there are some people who won't even bring it to church on Sunday. This is your textbook, somebody. Now I know you got it on your iPad and your iPod and your iDis and your iDat and your iPhone and your... That's all right with me. Just bring it anyhow. I don't care how you bring it. Bring it! Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, help me, Jesus, a streaker. John, John Wycliffe, many years ago, he gave his life... Because he chose to translate the Bible from Latin to English, which was at that time prohibited by the Catholic Church. See, see, at that time, the Catholic Church felt like the Scriptures were only to be available to the clergy. And it was not for private interpretation of the lay people. That's contrary to the Bible. Because the Bible says, no Scripture is given for private interpretation by one group alone. But for everybody. The Catholic Church, mean no offense, I'm just giving the facts, considered the Pope to be infallible, equal to God. There's nobody equal to God except Jesus. John Wycliffe took a stance against the infallibility of the Pope because in that time of the Catholic Church, they were... They were uh, Declaring edicts and mandates to the people that were contrary to Scripture. At that time in the Catholic Church, and, and some may be doing it now, they sell certain uh, privileges for saints or people to become saints. At that time in the Catholic Church, you could buy somebody out of hell by giving enough money. Oh, <laughs> It's gotten a little quiet here in radio land, so I'll just... You, you, can't, you can't buy nobody out of hell if they're there. There is no way out of hell once somebody goes there. That's why I preached like I did last Sunday. Do not go to hell. There is not a purgatory. It's not in the Bible. And there was a paradise, but it's empty now because Jesus conquered death. Oh, can I get an amen here? And, and, and I'm not trying to be mean, but John Wycliffe was killed. Because he translated the scripture from Latin to English. They were so mad, even after years of him doing that, and he was buried and dead. They were so mad that he did it. And the scripture was going abroad, and people were, were coming to the knowledge of Christ by faith and not by works. Can I get an amen here? It is Martin Luther in the 15th century, 16th century. Martin Luther, for whom Martin Luther King Jr. was named. Martin Luther who posted his thesis on the door of the, of the chapel of the cathedral at Westminster. I think, is that the right one? Oh, Wittenberg. Wittenberg. Yeah. I knew you'd be testing me there. I, just, I want to see if he was paying attention. 
and I only said that a scholar to scholar because we've been talking about, about history and such. But, but, but Martin Luther, he, he posted on the, on the, on the door of the cathedral at Wittenberg, he posted the word of God that said, listen, the, the Bible is not just subject to the interpretation of the priest. Because he found out in the Bible that the just shall live by faith. And Martin Luther says, and all you're saying to us, the Catholic Church, is you can buy your way to heaven. You can baptize your way from somebody in hell. Baptize them in heaven. You have to buy certain amount of, uh, uh, of things or, or give certain amount of money to cover certain amount of sins. You got to say this many hundred this and you got to say this many that in order. You got to work to get to heaven. The Catholic Church at that time was teaching, and they may teach now, I don't know, that you got to do so many works and so many things. And then Martin Martin Luther read, the just shall live by faith. He took the word of God and said, Jesus paid the price. Jesus purchased our salvation. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't inherit it. Receive it by faith. Your sins are forgiven. And it spread a revolution known as the Reformation. Can somebody say amen? And I, I said all that to tell you. That you can't stop this book. I can't stop this book. No need trying. I'm going to hurry here. The question for us this is this. Why believe the Bible as opposed to any other truth source, religious writing, or human reasoning? Why believe the Bible? Instead of the Quran, which is the Holy Scriptures of Islam. Instead of the New World Translation, which is the Holy Scripture of Jehovah's Witness. Instead of the Book of Mormons, which is the Holy Scripture of the Book of Mormons. Look at me and hear me now, because this may be your Alpha and Omega Sunday. Alpha and Omega Sunday. That means it may be your first and last if you get mad and not sanctified. <laughs> if you're looking for a worldview where everybody's going to heaven and nobody's going to hell and all religion leads to the same God, this ain't the worldview we carry. We carry this view. This view. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Uh, J- Jesus said about the Word of God, Thy Word is truth. C- can you hear me? So, so I believe the Bible as opposed to any other truth source. Religious writing of human reasoning. Because the evidence points to its credibility above any other book. We all have a worldview. Can I get an amen here? We all, we all have asked the question somewhere along in our lives, Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? We all have a worldview. What do you mean by worldview? I mean the way we look at the world. We all have a worldview. What is life? What is death? And we all have a worldview. But, but if you have a worldview that's not based on evidence and facts, then your worldview is going to crumble. Why do I believe what I believe? Let, let me give you a few thoughts here as I hasten. Because the scientific evidence proves that the Bible is truth. I don't have time to give you all of the scientific evidence. The Bible revealed the scientific facts hundreds and thousands of years before science even learned about them. And while I know that the Bible is not primarily a science book, it's not a textbook, while I know that the Bible is designed to speak to our mind, it's not a science book, it's rather a love letter from the heart of God to your heart and my heart. I know that. We should remember, however, 
that the God of salvation is the God of creation. And since God created everything, He sure had to be scientific in order to do it. And so, every once in a while, you will hear about modern science disagreeing with the Bible. Do we? So, Pastor, what should we do when we hear modern science disagreeing with the Bible? We should be patient. We should give science time to catch up with the Bible. I feel a... And sometimes I feel a whoop glory simply because I want to awake the sleeping saints. Uh, uh, Listen to me. In the field of medicine, can, can I teach you a little bit? Are you okay here? Are you okay being a student? Science. What about the field of medicine? In around the 1600 year, the year 1600, doctors, they still believe that many ailments and diseases were a result of the human body having too much blood. I only knew this this week when I studied. Do you know the barbershop? When you go to get your hair cut, the pole, the barbershop, it's white and red, like a candy cane. I never knew this till this week that, that the red stripe on it is not a candy cane stripe. It signified that you could go there to the barbershop and be bled. B-L-E-D. Because medicine believed that you could have too much blood and it could give you diseases. Uh, uh, doctors would prescribe that you go to the barber to be bled. You could tell I ran it close. (laughs) I I say this, I don't just say this to you just being light, but our first president of the United States, George Washington, died of symptoms related to pneumonia. But he also died prematurely because he was bled. His physicians allowed for leeches to be attached to his body, sucking the blood. And they drew blood out of him, thus hastening his death. But now science knows what they didn't know 400 and more years ago. That it's the blood that fights diseases. That it's the blood that brings nourishment to the body. That it's the blood that repairs tissues and promotes growth. Had they only read Leviticus chapter 17 and 11, the Bible said long time ago, For the life of the creature is in the blood. It said it more like this. The life of the flesh is in the blood. <laughs> Can somebody say amen? amen? So it took hundreds of years for science to catch up with what the Bible already knew. Do you, you remember your history that in the 14th century there was this terrible plague in Europe known as the Black Plague. you remember that history? Bubonic Plague, am I right? Uh, uh, one in four people in the populated areas of Europe... Where the plague existed, died. They died by the multiplicities of thousands. But it wasn't the scientists or the doctors who brought the plague under the control. It was the church. 
The church applied a principle to the situation that was unheard of in the days when the bubonic plague was mapping its way across Europe. A principle that we might even take for granted today. It's the principle of quarantine. Am I preaching here? In Leviticus 13 and 46, the Bible says, All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. People in Moses' days didn't know anything about microbiology. They didn't know what a germ was or what a virus was. But God, who is the greatest scientist of all, knew about the importance of cleanliness and quarantine. So he had them write it in the book and start doing it long before science got it. Can I get another amen here? I don't want to stay on this subject too long. But I read that in the 1800s, a physician in the city of Vienna by the name of Simmelweis, This physician was in charge of a hospital where pregnant women were coming in for routine exams. Immediately after the exams, these pregnant women received by the physicians, many of them were dying of infection. Physician Simmelweis noticed that doctors were entering the OB area from all other areas of the hospital, including the morgue, without washing their hands. He made it a rule that the doctors had a fit about back then, saying that this is ridiculous, that we should wash our hands after every patient. But now doctors make it a rule that you don't just wash your hand after every patient. They used to wash their hands in still water, just had a bucket, a tub of water, and they found out that the disease was still spreading. Long before they found out this in the Bible, the Bible taught in the book of Leviticus that if one had an unclean discharge or some kind of, uh, of uncleanliness, that they needed to go outside the camp and they needed to wash their hands under running water. Can I get a witness here? I, I, I'm telling you that the, the, the Bible, the scientist is a long time far removed from catching up with what the Bible has already said. So if you just want scientific facts, There are more to confirm for me to tell you here, brothers and sisters, that this is the credible Word of God more than just by science. I I got to hurry here. Just take, for example, astronomy and the skies and space out there. The ancient Egyptians believed and thought that the earth was supported by five giant marble pillars. The ancient Greeks believed that the earth rested on the shoulder of the God whose name was Atlas. I used to play that part years ago. No, I'm just kidding. The Hindus believed that the earth rested on the back of elephants. And when the elephants moved and shook, there was an earthquake. But they also believed that the elephants rested on the back of a huge turtle which is on top of a coiled serpent in the midst of cosmic air. Folks actually believe that. Aren't you glad that foolishness is not in the Bible? 
Job said in Job 26 about this creation. Job 26 and 7, He stretcheth out the north over empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. <laughs> uh, I got more content than I got time. I may have to do next week. I, I'm just trying to give you... We can shout every Sunday. I want us to shout. I want to give you some meat to hold on to. Back some, some centuries ago, in 150 B.C., before Christ, 150, an astronomer by the name of Hippocras, he laid down his pencil one day and smiled and said, It's done! Because he believed that he had counted all the stars in the sky. He counted 1,022 stars. It's done. But you're laughing, that number was used in universities for over 250 years. Until Ptolemy came on the scene and he laughed out loud one day. And he said, 1,022, that's ridiculous. He said, there are 1,026. I found four more. Now the counting of the stars is done. Then Galileo came along the scene and he invented this crude device, crude then but modern now, known as a telescope. And you, you look through it for the first time. And when he looked through it for the first time, he gasped because he was able then to discern that there are not just 1,026 stars, but there are billions of stars in each galaxy that are innumerable. No wonder Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 33 and 22, as the host of the heavens cannot be numbered. Oh, if somebody had read their Bibles, somebody would have found out that God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you children and grandchildren as innumerable as the stars are in the heaven and the sand on the seashore. Somebody give a Lord a praise here this morning. My, 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 I, I got to move on. I got a couple of things I got to tell you. Historically accurate. Can, can I get another amen, church? Historically accurate means that, I, I'd abbreviate this. Oh, help me, Jesus. There is more literary evidence. There are more original documents to support the Holy Scriptures than any other text in all of the publication of texts. Can you hear me, somebody? In all the so-called wisdom of Julius Caesar, in all the wisdom of Plato, in all the wisdom of Homer and the Iliad, in all these, these people who have written, we have far more original manuscripts and documentations current to the day and time of the incident happening than any other historical writing in the world. Can somebody say, praise the Lord? I don't have to tell, have the time to tell you about it. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls that validates almost every book of the Old Testament. We have the writings and the manuscripts from every scripture of the New Testament. And on and on it goes. And if you're looking for evidence, historical accuracy points to this book being the book of books. I need to hurry and tell you that prophetic evidence points to the book being the book of books. Can I get an amen, church? No other book in history has dared to predict the future to the degree the Bible has without being proven wrong. 
And for the sake of time, let me narrow it down just to, just to the prophecies that dealt with the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. There are thousands and hundreds of prophecies about Jesus Christ coming into the world as a baby in a manger, as God in the flesh, and being crucified and buried and resurrected and coming again. I don't have the time to give you all of those prophecies. But let's just talk about the prophecies that relate to His first coming. Isaiah seven fourteen said He would be born of a virgin. And in Luke 1 and 7, it happened. In Micah 5 and 2, He said He would be born in Bethlehem. And in Luke 2 and 4, it happened. In Genesis 49 and 10, it said He would be born of the tribe of Judah. And in Matthew 3 and 3, that very thing happened. In Psalm 78 and 2, the Bible speaks of Jesus teaching in parables. And in Matthew 13 and 34, it happened. In Zechariah 9 and 9, the Bible said He would enter Jerusalem riding on the back of a donkey, a colt of a donkey. And in Matthew 21, it happened. In Isaiah 61, the Bible said He would heal the brokenhearted. And in Luke 4 and 18, He declared, I am here to heal the brokenhearted. In in, in Isaiah 53 and 3, He said He would be rejected and despised by His own. In John 1 and 11, it happened. In Isaiah 53 and 7, the Bible said He would stand before His accusers Silent. And in Mark 15 and 5, that very thing happened. In Psalm 22 and 18, the Bible said it would cast lots, cast lots for his robe. And in John 19 and 23, that very thing happened. Can somebody say amen? I, I'm trying to tell you, as the Bible moves on and on, it said he would be crucified. It happened. It said he would be buried. It happened. It said he would go to the heart of the earth. It happened. He said he would capture, conquer death, hell, and the grave. It happened. He said he would go prepare a place for us. I don't know about you, but since every one of those things already happened, I am watching and waiting and believing just any day now He will come again. Somebody praise Him. I, I, I close with this. And I'm going to go home today and wish I told you something else. But I can't tell you everything in one sermon. What is the most powerful proof that the Bible is the living Word of God? Aside from scientists, aside from history, aside from prophecy, it is the power of this Word that has transformed multiplicities of millions and billions of men, women, and young people. Children. I tell you, you don't have to know the Greek of the New Testament for it to change your life. You don't have to go back to the language of Hebrew for it to change your life. The most powerful message of the Bible that has changed my life and yours is this simple thought. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Somewhere you heard a gospel message. Maybe the preacher was like me. Maybe he couldn't articulate the grammar just right. 
Maybe he was loud and boisterous. Maybe not too good to listen to. But somewhere the word that he preached, anointed by the Holy Ghost, got down into the hard soil of your heart. And the Holy Ghost massaged your head and your mind. And you understand that if you don't turn to God, the devil was going to burn you in hell forever. And you said, God, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be bound by drugs or alcohol or sex or lust. I want to go to heaven and I want to take somebody with me. And you left the aisle and you came to an altar and you believed the Bible. And God took the red blood of Jesus and washed your black heart and made it whiter than snow. That's what the Bible does. Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, atheists have set out to blaspheme and mutilate the Bible. But nothing changes our lives like the Word of God that says if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you all your sins cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Nothing changes your life like when you believe this Bible. This Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody. This Bible says the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life to everyone that believes. You listen to me now. I'm trying to find a place to land this plane. My dad was 17 years old. A devout Hindu. He worshipped the sun. He worshipped the moon. He poured rice out to the sun god. He took cow's milk and poured it over the brazen image of an idol who had the head of a monkey and the body of a man. He'd pour the milk over it and then drink the milk after for some sort of purging. When he saw his priest on the street, it was his duty to go and bow at the feet of the priest, even as much as to touch his feet. And then the priest would put his hand on his head and bless him. My father worshipped gods he never knew, but that's all he knew. One day he was coming from a cinema show after the movie was over. And he heard a gospel preacher on the side of the road talking about, you don't have to worship the sun or the moon or the stars or the cow or the monkey or work your way to heaven. You don't have to be in a certain class to be valuable because back then there was the caste system. And if you were darker skinned, you were greater heathen than those who were lighter skinned because all that's man's junk. And and my dad said to the preacher, he stopped, forgot about the movie. Tell me more about this Jesus. The preacher said, if you'll come to my house tomorrow. My dad said, I couldn't sleep that night. I got up the next day. I went to his house. It's been over 60 years now that my dad's been born again. 
and he's 81 years old and he's still preaching the message of the Bible. Stand to your feet all over this house. Stand to your feet all over this house. Give aloud some praise. Come on, give the Lord some thanks. My God in heaven. Help me, Jesus. My mother got saved. She was a Hindu. She's been in heaven now for 12 years. My grandmother died at 19 years old. She's in heaven now for about two years. My uncles who were unsaved, they kicked my father out of their house. My dad's parents kicked him out of their house because he got saved. He went to live with his brother and his brother's wife wouldn't even talk to him. They built a lean-to room beside their house so she wouldn't have to mess with him. Before, before long, the Holy Ghost of God saved his sister-in-law, saved his brother. There is nothing as powerful. Bow your heads, please. I want the prayer team to come to this altar. And as your heads are bowed, I want the altar workers because I'm going to give an invitation. But I'm going to give the invitation for not, not just those who need to get it right with God, but those who need healing from this Bible. Head bowed and eyes are closed, please. Those who need a miracle from this Bible. You're already saved, but you, you want prayer. You need a miracle for your marriage, for your money, for your mind, for your body. Can I get an amen? All of these promises are in the Bible. I just got to walk up in faith and say, God, you don't have to do it my way. You don't have to do it by my watch. But I just believe you can do it. So if you said it, I believe it. Heads about and eyes are closed. Pastor Matura, I fear that I have not taken the Bible literally like I should about salvation and about my soul's destination. And I hear that Jesus is coming again and he could come today and he's only taking those who are born again with him. But I also hear, Pastor Matura, that if Jesus doesn't come today and I die before he comes and I die in my sin, I will go straight to hell. I will not go to paradise. I will not go to purgatory. I will go to hell. That's what the Bible says. And Pastor Matura, I do not want to go to a devil's hell. I want to live eternally with Jesus. And I want all my family to go. And it is not well with my soul today. And I want it to be. Heads about and eyes are closed. Every Christian, I want you to pray with a whisper under your breath. I want you to pray for souls today. If that's you and you need salvation, raise your hands in Jesus' name. Hold it up in Jesus' name. Thank you. I want to, oh, look at the hands. Put them down. No, I told you to look. Keep your eyes closed. Don't look. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Put them down. Pastor Matura, I need a miracle from the Bible, God's Word, for my life. And I've quoted philosophers, and I've quoted my favorite TV talk show person, and I've quoted my favorite joke teller, and I've quoted my favorite cliche, but I need to start quoting the Bible. Pastor, I need to return to the Bible for the miracles I need. Pray for me today to love it again. Raise your hands. Amen. Okay, put them down. I'm, I'm going to ask you in Jesus' name. Oh, thank you, Lord. If you need an answer from God for anything, including salvation, and you raise your hands. People are at the altar. Leave from where you are. Sing a, a verse or chorus with me. And I'm going to close in a moment, but if you will demonstrate your faith, leave from where you're standing. If you raise your hand for anything, come as close to the front as you can. Come now in Jesus' name. I'm going to offer a prayer over everybody that comes, not individually, but collectively. Come, come. Everybody else, lift your hands. Everybody else, raise your hands.